Well, good afternoon. Those of you still able to make it, we uh, have had some ups and downs. It seems like with a some kind of a little virus, it isn't really a cold, it isn't really a flu. I, I don't know what to call it. I've been struggling with it with my throat, as you know, and uh, I don't feel bad most of the time. Just kind of don't have a lot of energy, <clears throat> but my voice is... I think slowly improving, getting better. I think it's going to last today. But others are kind of up and down with it, so I don't know. We've got several. I see one or two back, and a few that were here are gone, so I, I hope it's running its course and we'll all be okay by the end here. We don't have really much in the way of announcements. No special events today. It's kind of an open afternoon, and an evening with Sabbath coming tomorrow. So we do have special music again. Uh, this will be a combination of kids and adults singing, Give Me Oil in My Lamp.
Thank you, that was very nice. I have this ringing in my head, I'm not sure what it is. <clears throat> well, we've been going through uh, Isaiah, some of the things that God is about to do for the church, and ultimately in the millennium as well, in a much, much greater way. And we came to a section here that I'm going to skip over uh, because it is a series of burdens against various people. It starts with Babylon and goes through several more. And as we know, a burden is a severe warning of trouble to come. And for the Feast of Tabernacles, I, I don't find that fitting for what we're studying, so uh, I, I'm just going to move over those. It doesn't mean they aren't important. They certainly are, and we've been over them before. But meet in due season, 
so I don't want to go through a lot of that at the moment. So let's let's fast forward up to Isaiah 29. <clears throat> Here we, within this chapter, toward the end of it primarily, we see a change here. Uh, this is a burden, chapter 29, to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. It was a another name for Jerusalem uh, that God called it, Ariel. And there is a woe given here, and I'm not going to go through all of it because uh, right now is an application to the church primarily, and it shows how it would be taken apart and fall to the ground and speak from the dust, and that these things would come in an instant suddenly, which they did. They came out of almost nowhere, it seemed, and hit us right between the eyes. So the way that it's put here is, is quite applicable to what we have been through, but we've been through <laughs> that information now maybe not a thousand, well, probably a thousand times over the last 26 years. Uh, you go over these things again and again, but they're here because they're important, and it shows what we have been going through. But I want to skip on down then, instead of rehearsing that in detail, and go to verse 17. We've already been through, basically, what is given up until that point in Isaiah 29. Now it is about to turn around, I think, pretty quickly here. And it says in verse 17 then, Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? So, it will begin to produce again, and then it will be esteemed as a forest, because more trees, more people, uh, thicker, closer together. Uh, I think we all like a forest scene better than we do a barren, desolate scene, and indeed God does, God does as well. Uh, he has caused desert places on the earth for a reason, but he doesn't say that the blooming, beautiful forest areas will blossom as the desert. <laughs> uh, in other words, he won't take the fruitful parts of the earth that are beautiful today and turn them into deserts. He's going to take that which is, in a sense, ugly and turn it into a fruitful field and a heavily wooded area. So God does not care for deserts any more than you and I do. Sometimes I think why did we need to come to a forsaken place like this? It has its own beauty. It has a certain something about it. But it isn't something I like nearly as much as I do a high mountain with a glacier on it and trees all around it and deer and elk and bears running around uh, and the creeks and ponds and, and lakes. Uh, I like that much better. Now, I'm not complaining about where we are and saying that, and I don't want God, and he knows my heart about that, he knows I'm not complaining, but beauty that the desert may have is a desolate beauty, and if it had a lot of beautiful greenery added to it, then maybe the red rocks 
decorated a little differently and the stage flat would look a whole lot better. So God says he's going to turn it around and it won't be that anymore. And I understand why he brought us to at least a semi-desert and wilderness area for the most part. Uh, it's not total wilderness. I mean, we do have towns around, but it's not thick like it is on the West Coast and the East Coast and other places. Uh, you can get alone and be by yourself pretty fast here. I can go out our front gate and within a minute I can be where I can't see anybody uh, and go on out on the desert and not see anybody else for the most part and go to remote areas to climb or hike or drive and there's nobody around. So for this world today, it's pretty much a wilderness and there are people here who are going to be leaving uh, in this greater area in order to make room for God's people to come back to his promised land. So he's made it a desert so that he can transform it as an example to the world. And he wanted us to come out in it as a test and see if we would endure and deal with it until the time when he changes it. So we're dealing with a situation where it isn't, in that sense, ideal, the weather. It's not that bad, but it's not ideal either. It's not like Eden yet, put it that way then. Uh, but it's a very little while after you've gone through what he describes in chapter 9 and many other scriptures about what would happen to us. A little while it will be turned into a fruitful field and as a forest. And in that day, when more people come, because trees are symbolic of people, in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Now this isn't necessarily speaking of physical blindness and deafness, but people who've not been understanding will begin to see and to understand, to have their eyes open. So the forest is a type of people, and the blindness and the deafness is a type of the spiritual condition the people in the church have been in. They're going to have clarity. They're going to see what God is doing, how he's doing it, and understand when they have been in a state of not understanding. Spiritual darkness, if you will. Now, we'll get to it, and I believe that this application will also be for people who are physically impaired in many ways, but I think this is speaking more here of the spiritual side of it, because we've been in spiritual darkness and murmuring out of the dust, uh, and that's where all the preaching of the various parts of the Church of God have been, not being heard, not being very loud, but then there will time, come a time, very soon after, when people will see again. The meek also shall increase their joy in the eternal. Uh, we have a certain joy in the eternal, I think, through the church that has remained. Uh, it's not that we're against God or have turned against Him. Uh, so there's still a certain amount of joy 
across and through the church, wherever they may be, in God. But it will be increased in people who are meek and humble and willing to accept uh, real truth for a change and what's really going on are going to have their joy increased. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So, those who've not had much, who've not had understanding, are suddenly going to become rich in understanding. They won't be poor that way anymore. For the terrible one is brought to nothing, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. So, negative attitudes, down attitudes, uh, unencouraged people will be cut off. And those who are willing to be inspired and helped and encouraged and taught will increase. And their joy will increase. You know, some people, even by nature tend to be fairly easily inspired or encouraged or picked up because they like to have a positive, good, sunshiny outlook on life. And so we have songs like Look on the Sunny Side and so on. And there are people who tend to do that by their nature, their upbringing, their DNA, personality, everything combined. And then you have those that are always looking on the negative or the downside of things. And uh, we used to have a speech in Spokesman's Club when we had those that uh, were to be inspiring. Your speech, the main theme of it, no matter what the subject, was to inspire people. And it had a picture drawn by Basil Wolverton, which is he always had a, a way of putting things. Somebody sitting there with a glum look on their face inspire me, like it was going to be a real challenge so to do. And uh, sometimes it was. <laughs> but some people are more easily inspired than others. And that helps if you tend to have a positive outlook on life. If you tend to be negative by nature, it makes it more difficult. For the bad ones then, verse 20 will be brought to nothing, and a scorner will be consumed. So, there's no room for those kinds of attitudes anymore. He says, things are going to be picking up. Things are going to look good. All that watch for iniquity are cut off. Those who are looking for sin, those who are looking for trouble in others, who are looking for faults, who have a negative approach to others. You know, there's just no room in that in God's kingdom. His kingdom is going to be one of peace and inspiration and joy and no offense, in that sense, no difficulties with the way things are and our approach to life. It will be different. And there's not going to be any room anymore for this kind of thing. And he's saying that about the church here as well, spiritual Jerusalem, that has been through so much. And the ones that come through it and are willing to be humble and listen are going to be able to be inspired and to be taught. 
Verse 21, continuing about those that are downers, that make a man an offender for a word. Doesn't take much. They, you, you say one word, and they'll take offense at it and have an attitude about it, and then it's difficult to get along because there's friction between people, and you see that person or they see you, and these negative thoughts come up because they've been planted there sometimes by a word, maybe a sentence, maybe a paragraph, whatever it takes to get somebody looking down on you for something you might have said, whether you meant it, whether you meant it or not, whether you meant it the way it was taken, whether the person really was in a bad attitude and meant it, <laughs> that happens too, or whatever. <clears throat> Someone who is an offender for a word. They take offense and lay a snare for him that reproves in the gate. They don't, uh, aren't willing to accept criticism, <coughs> aren't willing to accept correction. Uh, what do you mean? Tell me. Uh, you've got your own problems. So, our human nature and our pride does not want to be corrected. We don't want anyone to say anything negative about us. We're happy to say it about them, however, but we don't want it said about us. It's hard to love someone else as much as you love yourself. Uh, I think it's to coin a phrase. I think it makes it fairly easy for us to say, I love me as much as I love me. But I have trouble loving you as much as I love me. <laughs> That's our problem as a human. So he's saying, that has to go away. Being judgmental toward each other, putting each other down. He says, that's not going to be. Him that reproves in the gate and turns aside the just for a thing of nothing, really. Maybe a misspoken word or two or a sentence and it ruffled our presence, upset us. Why is that person like that? Why do they say things like that? But it might be said of us who take offense at that. Why are you so easily offended? Do you have too much pride? Do you have too much vanity and ego? And you can't take it because you're so delicate and so tender that any kind of criticism gets you so uptight and upset? No, it, that one goes both ways. But it creates problems in a group of people, whether it be business, church, school, whatever. These things happen, and it creates conflict and little animosities and attitudes that remain. So he's saying people are going to be encouraged. They're going to hear. They're going to learn and they will have their joy increase, whereas people who are not willing to go that direction are going to be removed. That can't be. It won't be in God's kingdom, so we need to be working on it now. And we won't have it perfect before we're changed, but we could make some progress, we hope. 
Verse 22, Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. We've been ashamed, haven't we? Those representing God as his church. We've been ashamed of what happened to us. We've been ashamed that we were knocked down and scattered. And pale of face, if you will. When you're scared, when you're confused, frustrated, sometimes you you lose color. Your color drains out of your face. And he, he says, it won't be that way anymore. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. So no longer will they be inward. No longer will they be negative and fighting among themselves. But they'll look to and set aside or sanctify the Holy God of Israel and fear him. And that's the first step in the right kind of respect. Wisdom is the beginning, or the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And they're going to again begin to truly fear God. They also that erred in spirit were in a negative, wrong, upside-down attitude, which we just discussed shall come to understanding. They're going to see a different way, a different life, a different way to go. They'll see a way to get rid of the darkness, the light at the end of the tunnel, you will. And they'll head for the light, which is Christ. So, though they had an attitude and a spirit that wasn't what it should have been, they'll come to understanding. They'll see, hey, things are improving. And they that murmured shall learn doctrine or good teaching. So there have been a lot of murmurs, a lot of complainers. There have been a lot of difficulties. And he says, now they're going to learn a better way uh, that doesn't include all of that negativity. This is a very, I think, encouraging end of a chapter showing that at the end of the trouble and the storm and the burden that we've been going through, Things are going to look up. They're going to get better. And it's the same with the world and where it's now headed into world war and untold death and destruction for the next few years. And then they're going to have, when Christ sets up the millennium, light at the end of the tunnel. They'll see a better way, a better understanding. They'll learn true doctrine instead of false religion taught by all the different churches. God's true way. And they won't murmur anymore. They'll say, I finally found the truth. I quit griping. So then in chapter 30, he says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Eternal, that take counsel, but not of me. There's no place that you're going to get the answers you need except God. He's the only one that has the answers. I think it should become quite apparent by now after man 6,000 years on the face of this earth from Adam and Eve on down who couldn't get along with 
God, Satan, or man, or man couldn't get along with woman or woman with man, and it's been that way pretty much ever since. Uh, difficult to live in a human frame. It has its ups and downs. But the only place that we can find answers is with God because He's the Creator and He knows the way to peace and joy and happiness and the world doesn't. The world is trying all kinds of different ways to find joy and security and happiness. They use money, they use sex, they use entertainment, they use a lot of different ways to try to find happiness and joy, thinking this will do it, or that will do it, or alcohol, or drugs, or there's so many, many things people look to to try to find the happiness and joy that they'd like to have, but they don't find in their lives and in their relationships. So he says, woe to those who won't follow God. They take counsel from everyone but Him. How many different kinds of counseling can you go to in this world today with different kinds of psychiatric... I like to mess that word up, psychiatrists and other idiots who are trained in the ways of this world and in helping people with their selfishness to find joy in selfish things. They just don't know the way to happiness. And there's all kinds of counselors uh, of different stripes. But they don't have the Word of God, which rules relationships and helps us know how to rule ourselves so that we don't make ourselves miserable. Because that's what most of us do if we're miserable, is we make ourselves miserable. Either that or our mates or our children or our mother-in-law or whoever it is, but uh, it doesn't take much to make people miserable <laughs> in different ways. And they don't have the answers from God. So they cover with a covering. They try to hide their difficulties, their unhappiness, their lack of joy in life with a covering, but they don't cover it with the Spirit of God. They use carnal means of trying to resolve their issues and make them happy. That they may add sin to sin. So they try to cover it and then keep sinning. And people realize, to one degree or another, that sin is not good. That it produces difficulties. So people, even in this really open society we have today, still try to hide their lying, their cheating, their adulteries, their drugs, whatever they use. They still try to hide it, for the most part, from others. And keep adding sin to sin, trying to find an answer that they can't find. That walk to go down to Egypt, that was what people used to do in ancient times, go to this world. And Egypt represents in type the world and the cultures of the world. And that's where they try to find the answers. And they don't get them. 
to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and the trust in the shadow of this world, is the way you should really read today. Therefore shall the strength of modern culture be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of your culture your confusion. And we have a very confused culture today, do we not? We can't even decide if we're boy or girl. That, you know, that didn't used to be a source of much consternation. You knew if you were a girl, and you knew if you were a boy. And that was kind of settled pretty early in life. And now today, they think they've identified 69 different genders, each a little different than the other. And what confusion that must be. How, where do you find the definition for those? Have you ever seen anybody write up 69 definitions of what all those genders are? I don't think so. Just think how confusing it would be to try to determine if you're a 13 or a 14. Bad enough to decide whether you're just a cross between a boy and a girl or not. What confusion that adds. Terrible. And that's what our society and culture, Egypt around us, is doing this day. Got to go away. Verse 5, they were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be a help or profit, but a shame and also a reproach. And I think our whole culture and society today is a shame and a reproach. I haven't been to a movie in 25 years. I mean, to a theater. I've seen a few on TV here and there, I suppose, or watched some on a tape. But I look at the marquee, and I don't see anything there that's worth going to. It's a shame. It's a reproach on our society that we're breaking down so rapidly. The burden of the beasts of the south and the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper, the fiery flying serpent, they will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. So here we are in our materialistic society, keeping up treasures. We don't carry it on the back of a donkey or on a camel anymore but we carry it in our cars, in our bank accounts, in our wallets, wherever, as we heat these things up. But you would think that all rich people would be truly joyous, happy people. But that's simply not the case. Because riches do not make you happy. The main difference between poor people and rich people is the cost of the divorce. There's a lot more pain, a lot more agony among the rich. You know, if you're a poor man and you have to give up a 20-year-old car to your wife or to your husband, uh, it may be painful because that's all you got. But what about the rich guy? And he has to give up three or four or five billion dollars in a divorce. Uh, 
that adds an awful lot of pain and misery and, and agony to the process. But they divorce just as often. And in fact, in general, more often. Because they have money and they can do as they wish. How often do people in Hollywood change partners? Almost daily, it seems. And some of them do daily. For the worldly culture shall help in vain and to no purpose. You may have a jet airplane, but your husband or your wife cheating on you, and it's no different than it is with the run-of-the-mill average person. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. They'd be better off doing nothing than the things they are doing that are causing so much pain and trouble. So he says, now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. So he tells Isaiah, your society around you is an absolute mess. I want you to write this all down in a book so people can read it later and maybe they'll learn from it instead of going through it. And today we have a society that was just as demoralized and decadent as it was in Isaiah's day and probably worse as in the days of Noah and in Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is here for us to listen and not deny God so that things can get better. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the eternal. Which say to the seers, don't see. To the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, but speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceit. You try to tell them the way things are in our world today, and they don't want to hear it. Don't tell me that. I want to hear smooth, easy things. I want to hear that everything's going to be okay in my life, that everything's going to be okay in our society, and I don't want to hear of trouble. But God told Isaiah, write it down. I want them to know. Let's go to verse 12. Wherefore thus says the Eternal Holy One of Israel, Because you despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay on that. Look at our society today, brethren. We're trusting in our government in Washington, and all we're getting there from there is oppression. We're, we're getting stricter and stricter rules, and now the cops are getting freedom to go ahead and, if they feel like it, just shoot us, and nothing will be done about it. Uh, they can steal everything from us as congressmen and leaders, rulers, and our people just put up with it. We just bear it. We don't do anything about it. We accept it. And just as our leaders lie and cheat and steal, so do the people. Verse 13, Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall 
whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. Now, it came very suddenly on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it came very quickly, in a sense, in Noah's day. They had a hundred-year warning. Of course, a hundred years in those days isn't the same as a hundred years today. It's very rare for anybody to live a hundred years. But in those days, they were living well up into the 900s. So the same people who had been born early were still alive, a lot of them, in Noah's day. There had been a lot of people born, but people weren't dying. And in that sense, if you've lived 800, 900 years, uh, watching Noah build a boat for 100 isn't very long. It's only a small portion of your life. And what we see coming in America today is a high wall, bending, bending, leaning, leaning, and then suddenly it's going to crash. Our whole society is going down in a heap. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that it shall not be found for the bursting of it a shred to take fire from the hearth or to take water with all out of the pit. Water dry up, won't be fuel to make fires and warm ourselves. Isn't that what we're in the midst of right now? Drought and lack of water and it's going to get worse. I saw pictures of the Mississippi River yesterday and there are vast stretches of just open river bottom. And it's getting to the point they can't run barges down it. The corn, the wheat, the soybeans, the stuff that people need, they can't get down the river. They're just loading those barges with a little bit instead of a full load, and some of them even are going aground. So, this is true right now, today, as we speak. People in Europe are looking at a winter where they won't be able to heat their houses. They won't have the fuel to do it. No fire there, and no water in the pit. The rivers in Europe are drying up. They can't get barges down them, and river traffic is one of the huge ways that the goods move about Europe, or has been until today. For thus says the Eternal God, verse 15, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. So he says, listen to me. If you would turn to me, you would find rest, and you'll be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. I, he says, I'm calling. I want you to do this. I want you to turn to me, and I can bless you. But as a nation, we won't. As a church, we didn't. And now a few are going to be, begin to be blessed again, but the majority of the church will die. And our nation's headed the same way. You said no, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall you flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. God says you try to get away, and you think you've got the fastest horse, uh, it ain't going to work. you got the fastest jet plane, you got the fastest submarine, some of our elite today. God says you go up into the heavens, you go down to the sea, I'll find you. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, 
at the rebuke of five shall you flee, till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign upon a hill. Now the church is going to be persecuted and chased, and there will only be a few left that can be a light on a hill. And therefore, verse 18, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore will he be exalted that he might have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. So he's just detailing here where we've been as a church and where we're right now going as a nation. Already to the point that fuel will be short and food will be short. And it's hard for us in America to grasp that. The grocery stores have always been full. But they're not going to be anymore. And we're not going to be hard to destroy and be taken into captivity because we're going to be hungry and starving and diseased. One of the members of the European Parliament just yesterday said that Pfizer needs to be investigated and sued for putting out a vaccine that is worthless. People are beginning to wake up that these vaccines are killing people. This stuff's all around us. So what does he say? You want peace, joy, happiness? Turn to me. It's that simple. And it is the only answer. Where in this world can you turn to find the things that all people seek? Security, peace, joy. There's, there's no place to go. No segment of society do you find those things. Americans have always thought you'd find it with wealth. But look at wealthy people. Again, they have high rates of suicide. They have high rates of going into rehab. High rates of divorce. High rates of difficulty, no matter what. Bill Gates just got a divorce. Uh, Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen are filing for divorce. Both of them multi-multi-millionaires. I think Tom Brady's buying a baseball team, which is probably two or three billion dollars. Made off sports. But his personal life is upside down and pretty much unhappy now. Gets a lot of acclaim. Gets a lot of fame and fortune. But obviously his personal life not too whippy right now. Where can you go? I, I ask the question. Can you think of a place you can turn and find happiness and joy and peace and security in this world? Nah. Even the riches don't give you security because when you were poor, you worried about money and how you were going to support and do things for yourself. So you worry when you don't have. Now you get it and you worry more because everybody you meet is going to be trying to get what you got. So you're even more upset and frustrated trying to keep and protect what you now have. And a lot of people with money have been conned out of 
millions and millions of dollars by some pretty high-powered con people. And then they wind up broke. Famous, but broke. But if you turn to God, it makes things better. Verse 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. Now there is a huge statement. Weep no more. No reason for crying. Maybe tears of joy, but not frustrated, upset, weeping. He will be very gracious to you at the voice of your cry. We've been going through with the church a time when God has been upset with it, and he has not been too responsive to most of our cries. Had his face turned from us. But it's going to turn around. Weep no more. He'll be gracious to you. When he hears your voice crying out to him, he's going to answer. Isn't that nice? You ever get frustrated with somebody who refused to talk to you? Refuse to want to talk? Or you keep trying to reach them on the phone and you can't reach them, can't reach them, can't reach them? And it gets frustrating. So you call on God, get no answer, get no answer. It can be frustrating. But he says, when he turns his face back to us, then we'll cry out and he'll be gracious. He'll hear. I find it in personal prayer quite exciting when I feel that my attitude and the circumstance is such that God is really hearing what I'm saying and that he is quite willing and gracious and might do something about whatever it is that is on the table at the moment. But at times when I don't feel that closeness, like I'm kind of praying to the ceiling and that's as far as it's going, that's kind of an empty feeling. No, I, I like it the other way better. And he says when, when this thing turns, very suddenly, he'll be gracious. When he shall hear it, he will answer you. Isn't that nice? You ask somebody something, and they come up with an answer, and it's an answer you like. We like that among ourselves. I've seen guys that would be dating girls in college, and they would get this case built up in their heart and their mind and their emotions, and somehow they would convince themselves that this girl was really in love with them. And they would say, will you marry me? And she'd say, no. Now that must be quite a letdown. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody not being able to have enough perception to understand before he pops the question what the answer is going to be. If he knew it was going to be no, he would never ask it. But he's deceived himself so far, and then he gets a no, and that's not a happy moment. I guess. I've never 
encountered it, but it couldn't be a very happy moment. And I saw guys do it. And the girls kind of laughing, well, no, not really, or some such thing. Um, but it's nice when you ask somebody a question that's important to you, and they say, sure, why not? You mean right now? Yeah, let's do this. That, that's, a, that's a much better response. You like that. Mommy, can I have a cookie? What do you want to hear? <laughs> That's an easy one. God will answer. And though the Eternal give you the bread of adversity, which we've had, and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore. They will know the answers. You go to the group of the church, that are out there yet today and ask for answers and they still don't have a clue what's going on. They don't have any answers. God says there'll come a time when they will. <coughs> they won't be in a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk you in it, <coughs> when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. That would be an upgrade, wouldn't it? <coughs> we might resent it now if we start to do something bad and somebody says, No, no, don't do that. Yeah, but I want to do that. But if you understand and you know what's right and you know that it produces good answers and yet your human nature tells you, well, I think I'll try this. And somebody says, nuh-uh. They help keep you on the straight and narrow. <coughs> Don't we ask God that? Don't we ask Him even today? Help me stay on the path. Help me go in the right way. Encourage me to obey you and serve you as opposed to disobeying you? Sure we do. So deep down, if we're converted, we want to do things God's way. And if you have somebody to help you with it, so much the better. That's why we come here. And so we can have these words read to us and it will direct us in the right way. That it's going to bring blessing instead of cursing. You shall defile also the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molten images of gold. You will cast them away as a minstrel's cloth. You shall say unto it, Get out of here. So all of our gods that we have, whether it be movie stars or sports figures or politicians or singers or uh, money, cars, some people identify with cars, and cars are their whole world. But cars can't bring you happiness and joy and peace and security. They can't. Or whatever else it is that you put ahead of God or crowds Him out of your life. Then shall He give you the rain of your seed, that you shall sow the ground withal, and bread of your increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous, 
And that day shall your cattle feed in large pastures. Remember Zechariah 2 where it says once we're in the place of safety, there'll be men, much men and cattle there. He's going to turn it around. Right now, we've even tried here to raise sheep and goats and cows and there isn't enough to feed them. You've got to buy hay. And it's still difficult, but he's going to turn it around. Right now, it's going the other direction in the world. And in our nation, they're destroying their herds of cattle. De- the fields are being destroyed and won't produce. And the world of our nation today is in the same condition that the church has been in spiritually for the last 35 years. Headed deep into famine and pestilence and trouble. But he says, for those who will turn and obey God, everything's going to turn beautiful. It shall be fat and plenteous, and that day shall your cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the ground shall eat clean provender, no weeds in it, which has been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. We're going to have more of our towers fall, not just the ones in New York City, but destruction of our cities. And during that time, the people who are willing to be obeying their God are going to have plenty. That gives me a great desire to obey God, because I want to be in that group. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Eternal binds up the breach of his people and heals the stroke of their wounds. The sunshine will be pure and abundant, and so will that of the moon, and God is just going to give us everything we need. That includes the physical healing, not just the spiritual understanding as well. Wouldn't it be nice if all our aches and pains and hurts and diseases were simply removed? Just being totally physically helpful or healthy would really be nice. And I don't care whether you're young or old, you already got aches and pains. And the older you got, probably the more you got. But we're at the end of 6,000 years of degeneration and the whole society is falling apart with heart disease and cancer and diabetes and multiple everything there is. And life becomes difficult. But he's going to turn it around at the time when the towers fall. So we're about to be invaded very soon now. I don't, I'm not going to say how many months or a year or two or whatever it is. But the way things are ratcheting up, it isn't going to be very long if it keeps on the rate it's going. And during that time, he's going to heal the stroke of our wounds that we have suffered. This is talking to the church. 
Behold, the name of the Eternal comes from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue is a devouring fire, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with a sieve of vanity, and there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. That'll be Satan and the New World Order and the beast and the false prophets drawing people away from God and everyone basically worshiping the beast. Except those who are serving God and obeying Him in every way. Verse 29, You shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept and gladness of heart as when one goes with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Eternal to the Mighty One of Israel. So we'll sing a song of reverence and solemnity to God. This might even be like a Passover night when it's a very solemn assembly. So here we are, and it's going back and forth between destruction and blessing. So it has to be applying to the church which has been in trouble suddenly being blessed while the world around us is now receiving the anger and the curse of God as we have been going through for 35 years, will be recovering while they're starting into it. What an encouragement that is that we can look forward now that we've been through it. We can look soon to blessing even as we watch the nation around us coming apart and being taken into captivity. This is as today as Scripture can get. It's right now. Verse 30, And the Eternal shall cause His glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lighting down of His arm with the indignation of His anger and with the flame of the devouring fire. So here He says, We'll be singing and piping before God and the world around us is going to be on fire with scattering and tempests and hailstones. For through the voice of the Eternal shall the Assyrian be beaten down which smote with a rod. So the ones who beat America down, the coalition against America led by the Assyrians, are then going to be destroyed while we're still in a place of protection and joy and blessing. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the eternal shall lay upon him, it shall be with tebrays and harps, and in battles of shaking will he fight with it. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the eternal, like a stream of brim, brimstone, does kindle it. I find that chapter really quite encouraging. But after all we've been through, it's going to completely turn around. And we can sing praises to God and keep our solemn feast and have much men and cattle and everything with plenty and fatness while the world is going to go through hell on earth. 
Aren't we glad for what we have? Let's go quickly then into chapter 31. We'll go through that just in a few minutes. Woe to them that go to the world for help. Egypt is not a good word to use there because we think of some poverty-stricken little nation in northern Africa. I've flown over it, and there's not much down there you'd want to go see. So it's talking about the culture, the world around us. Woe to them that go to what we see in our nation, which is talking about here, about to be destroyed. And stay on horses and trust in chariots. We depend on our military. We depend on our culture around us for security. Because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Eternal. So what are we looking to? We're looking to our nuclear weapons. We're looking to the few, the mighty, the marines. We're looking to those who have traditionally protected America from war. And Americans trust in that instead of looking to God. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. God can see through it. He can see that we trust in everything but him, the almighty dollar, the military, whatever it is that we trust in, God sees that, and he will bring evil upon our nation. Now, the men of this world are men and not God. Their horse is flesh and not spirit. Maybe not flesh is in a four-legged horse, but uh, a tank, a military plane. Uh, translate this into our modern world. When the Eternal shall spread out, stretch out his hand, both he that helps shall fall, and he that is helped shall fall down, and they shall all fall together like a pile of dominoes. Everything goes down. Now, Isaiah wrote in terms of what he saw around him, because then it was bows and arrows and spears and horses. When John had the vision in the book of Revelation, I think God fast-forwarded a little bit because it was an end-time book specifically, and I think John had, in that vision, pictures of helicopters and jet airplanes and tanks and that kind of thing because the way he described it, where they had uh, death in their tails and so on, it sounded like the rear gunner in, an air, in a helicopter. And on and on it went, to put it in modern terms. But military is not going to save us. They'll all fall down together. For thus says the eternal, or has the eternal spoke, spoken to me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. A lion is pretty confident. He knows his strength, and a bunch of shepherds aren't going to be able to scare him off. He will go ahead and attack the flock. 
so shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. He's going to move his remnant to Zion in the hill of Jerusalem. And he is going to protect them there. And he said, I am like a lion, and Christ is even depicted as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is not afraid of any of the leaders of this world, or Satan, who goes about as a roaring lion. He's not afraid of anything. And when he comes to protect his people in Zion, they won't have a thing to worry about. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. You know, if you're a bird flying over, the lion can't reach you. Uh, nothing down here can reach up there and drag you out of the air and kill you. Now, there are hawks and there are eagles and there are some birds that can catch other birds. But the analogy is here is if you're flying above the earth and that there's safety there because God will defend. He will deliver Jerusalem and defend it and preserve it. Turn you to him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. This is not a Christian nation anymore. Most people don't go to church. They don't tend to worship. Uh, they don't read the Bible. They've basically forgotten there is a God. As I told you, the people who stayed at my house recently from Holland said, well, in Europe, we basically don't do God anymore. Were his words exactly. We just don't do God. I'm not saying he isn't there. We just don't do it. <laughs> we ignore him. We ignore the concept. We're busy with our jobs, our TVs, and that's all we care about. We don't care if there's a God or not. What does he have to do with our life? That's your view. So whether they were Catholics or Protestants, they've just sort of given it up. There is a God who created the earth. Anybody that denies that is way below average in IQ. Pretty rum dumb. If you can look around and say, nobody made this, it just sort of poof came out of a black hole. No, if there is something, somebody did it. I got a lamp right here. There is no doubt whatsoever in my mind that somebody created this lamp. I even know who did it. it the Chinese. I haven't looked yet. Yep, I might. But I know somebody made it. It couldn't be here if it hadn't been made. This clock's the same way. Somebody made it. Chinese. You know, the Chinese are about to cut off all trade with the U.S. We just did a deal over computer chips and said we're going to quit exporting everything about it. And we have declared a trade war against China. And it won't be long before Walmart is basically empty 
because 90-whatever percent is in there comes from China. You think we're not going to be in a world of hurt? Yeah, just deny there's a God. That's what the world is doing. And they are going to suffer greatly. <clears throat> Turn to him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted, and we have. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver, his idols of gold, which your own hands have made to you for a sin. Now they used to make literal idols out of silver and gold and wood and so on. We make them out of various things today. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, and the sword not of a mean man, shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. God is going to raise someone against the Assyrian, who will have already taken us captive. Nobody who denies God, that includes Israelites and Gentiles, is going to get away without punishment. God will not be mocked. He is going to show the world who he is. And then he is going to rule the rod, rule the earth in peace and safety and security once all revolters and ignorers and worshipers of other gods have been put down. Then he can rule in peace and safety. He's going to start doing it with the remnant of the church very shortly now, and then after the Holocaust with those that are left in the world. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear. The Syrian's going to run for his life. And his princes shall be afraid of the ensign. Who is that? Go to Haggai 2. Says God is going to set Zerubbabel up as an ensign to the nations, and they will flee before the two witnesses. They won't like the message. They won't turn to God, and then they will get plagues of all kinds, and it'll scare them, and they'll run from it. Says the Eternal, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. He is going to, from Zion and Jerusalem, turn his people loose against Satan and the billions of this earth. Just a few thousand, as in the days of Gideon, only 300, led by two who will bring misery and destruction on this world. They'll come out of Zion and Jerusalem area, out of the promised land. And God is going to give them power over the nations to discomfort them, to give plague to them as they will, as Revelation says, Revelation 11. That's what's coming. Which side do you want to be on? Because that's what's coming and is already arriving. We're seeing the beginnings of it this very day. In Europe, in America with the inflation, with the stupidity, not stupidity, with the evilness of our government. And all that we are going through to see American culture destroyed. And we're being sold out to our enemies.
what a sad time it is here at the end of the United States. It's over. It's done. It's falling apart so very, very rapidly. And there's only one answer to the problem, and that's turn to God with heart, mind, body, and soul. It's the only place there is an answer, and most people will avoid it to their shame and destruction. Please, don't be among them. Turn to God.